What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm Shelly Metling, and I've been sharing my infertility journey openly on YouTube for about a year now. With four losses ourselves and one rainbow baby on the way, I wanted a platform for you babes to share your stories. So girl, sit back, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry, because we are about to get real on the ins and outs of pregnancy loss in the 21st century. Hello, everybody. We have Jana Rupnow on the call today. You guys, she is the author of the book Three Makes Baby, and she's also a psychotherapist and speaker focusing on infertility, parenting, adoption, adoption, and donor conception. So I'm really intrigued as to what we're all going to learn from her today. But what I love is that she has a story of her own when it relates to infertility, miscarriage, adoption, kind of everything she's all about. So uh, Jana, if you just want to start with your story, I would love that. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks for having me today. Gosh, my story, you know, I experienced infertility um, as well. You know, it was years ago, but I had secondary infertility. So my husband and I, we were able to have our first child. Um, and so he was born and, you know, we're just kind of rocking along. And then we, to our surprise, we couldn't get pregnant again. And so, you know, kind of months were passing, then years were passing. And we, we didn't really know why we, we you know, started to to, we eventually saw some doctors and found out the reason. But um, in the meantime, we thought about going down the path of adoption. And so we, you know, we looked into it. We kind of put it on the shelf for a minute. And then some, some things happened in our life that were, you know, kind of those pivotal points that just change your life. Um, and it was, I lost three people in seven days, three loved ones. And I had I'd never experienced grief before like that. And I remember my husband looking at me and just saying, you know, this adoption thing, like, let's do this. Life's short. And it was such an emotional moment. I remember going, okay, you know, let's do it. And so we started the adoption process to China and in China, and it took two years. So two years later, we had uh, our daughter and um, she, we brought her home. And, you know, it was, a, it was a tough ride at first. She was a little older. She was 16 months and um, she was pretty... Um, she was grieving a lot. She was pretty angry and, um, you know, really acting out and crying. And, and, you know, when we brought her home and she started going through that, you know, I really started feeling my infertility grief for sort of the first time that I would maybe admit it to myself. And that was a really, really hard time in my life, in our life as um, parents to a second baby and um, trying to manage all that she was going through. And then my own feelings coming up at the same time, it was like compounded, you know, grief, um, not just times two, but like times a hundred. And um, so that was a, a really hard time for us. And, you know, I learned a lot about grieving and about grief and about infertility grief and all that, that all that's involved in that. And so I started counseling other couples that were also going through infertility and adoption at first. Um, then later adoption, international adoption really started to slow down. And so I shifted over to third-party reproduction, which is also known as egg donation, sperm donation, and embryo donation. And I started seeing some of the same grieving patterns happening with couples and individuals. And um, I really was able to apply what I went through to my professional um, experience and to, you know, not necessarily bring my story in, but just know what, what people were going through and what they were experiencing. 
Well, being relatable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would way rather see somebody who completely like gets what I'm going through. You know what I mean? Uh Like there's some, there's just a lot of comfort in that. So I think that that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's such a unique experience that if you haven't been through it, it's almost impossible to understand it. And, and Mm -hmm. I know that sort of seems, may seem a little, um, a little bit of a stretch to people who haven't been through it, but it really is true. And the reason is, and I've learned through my, you know, my experience as a professional that infertility is comparable to the emotions, the distress that that you go through during infertility is comparable to uh, those who have been diagnosed with cancer or um, heart disease. So we know that from studies that Alice Delmar conducted up in Boston Mass. And, you know, it is intense. And, you know, as I really kind of delved deeper into this subject matter, I realized it really is a life and death topic mm-hmm. because we're dealing with new life. And every time we have a loss within infertility, whether it's a, a missed period or a procedure that doesn't work or, you know, a miscarriage, of course, we're talking about death, you know, a death of sorts. So it's very intense, very mm-hmm. intense emotions that come. In, and that's why I think people that haven't been through it don't quite understand how intense it is. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes into being like a really lonely experience yeah. for people who are going through it. Cause like, I don't know if like any of your clients have felt this as well, but, um, like I struggled a bit with like my family being my support system because nobody in my family had gone through it. And I think that's why I, you know, I headed towards the internet. Yeah, <laughs> You know, I started documenting on YouTube and created this podcast and it's like, yeah. this was my support system. Yeah. Um, because there's yes. people who get it. They get it. And, you know, family, for some reason, if they haven't been through it, they are really quick to be Mr. Fix-It or Mrs. Fix-It, you know? Because <laughs> like, they love you so much. They, they just want to, like, take like, that pain well, away. Yeah. Just do this or just do that. Or how about this? And any time a sentence starts with the just, then you know that you probably should just change the subject with that person. <laughs> because <laughs> That's a good they tip. Don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it. Yeah. There's no just in this. It's not that simple. And so... Um, but yeah, but they are coming from a good place and they do, it is well-intentioned. It's just, they don't quite understand how complex it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And do you see the same, like with husbands? Well, husbands have a different way of coping in general. I work with couples a lot and the difference between the, the female and the male, you know, sex is, is profound as we know, but, um, men tend to distract and, um, from the topic to deal with it is a coping mechanism. We women, we tend to, to we want to talk about it. We need mm-hmm. to talk about it and we tend and befriend. And so we have very opposite ways a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just a general stereotype, but it's, it's for the most part true. And um, with most men and women. And so what we do is we find ourselves being in this a little bit of tension with our, with our spouse because um, of that difference. And women often think my husband's being so insensitive and he doesn't care. Well, he, he likely cares very deeply, but he cannot necessarily go there because it's so intense emotionally. Plus they want to be a support system for their wife. And if they're going into the delving into the emotions, they feel like they can't then be there for you. And so that's kind of what's happening there. Um, and men and women, when I tell them this, they like this here is, yes, that's so true. Yes. That's what's happening. And um, it really helps when we understand each other a little more because then you don't you can realize no it's not that he doesn't care it's not that it's not affecting him it it, it is and he just isn't able to to go there because he wants to be the support system for you 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because I know the divorce rate is, like, extremely – well, divorce rate is already extremely high. But yeah. then when you deal with, like, infertility or miscarriage, it goes up even more. And, like mm-hmm. – I love my husband and we made it through, but like, I totally get it. (laughs) You know, it's so hard on a marriage. It is so hard on marriage. And a lot of people say it does bring them closer and it really depends on the couple. But I know when I, one of the hardest times for me, you know, was probably, I ended up, believe it or not, experiencing a miscarriage. Um, And this was, so I had been gone through infertility. We weren't able to get pregnant for over a decade you know, and I, I wanted that third child. And so, um, and so, you know, I eventually just accepted this wasn't our going to be in the cards for us. And this wasn't the plan and moved on with life. And then 14 years later from my per- first pregnancy, I'm pregnant again. I mean, I remember my OBGYN just be like, so shocked, you know, here I am at 40 years old and I'm pregnant. And, um, and it, and that pregnancy was just so such a miracle. It felt like such a miracle. But I remember my husband being, you know, kind of shocked and like, oh my gosh, starting over, we had, our youngest was 10. And I remember him being very quiet about the whole thing and, and me being very, you know, expressive and, and excited, but also knowing that from the beginning that it probably wasn't viable. And so there were so many emotions that went, that I went through and that we went through together. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was an experience that brought us closer, to be honest. I mean, I'm just being honest. Um, I wish I could say it was, but it really wasn't, I think, just because he was so, I think, terrified, you know, at that point uh, of starting over. And, and I was, um, you know, was bracing myself for it not to work and for it to lose the baby. And, and I did at eight and a half weeks. Um, and even though I knew from the beginning because of my numbers, it probably wasn't a viable pregnancy. I still felt all the feelings. I still got attached. I still mm-hmm. bonded, you know, and I couldn't stop myself. There's just no way mm-hmm. to... So the second you get that positive pregnancy test, you become mm-hmm. a mom to that baby for Absolutely. sure. And, and I, I think that's, this. yeah, I was going to say, I think that's where it's different with husband and wife. Like for the oh, woman, it's like you get the pregnancy test and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. You instantly become a mom. And then, but I almost feel like for husbands, it's like when the baby's born, they become a dad. So true. <laughs> totally true. And my husband was the same way. He's like, actually, we kind of got closer to when they were, he was like walking and then he, oh, he is a human. <laughs> He's an actual human. <laughs> yeah, totally true. And and all guys and there's guys some guys that are different and love babies yeah, right from the totally. start. But my dad was a baby baby guy, so he loves babies. But um yeah, you know, it's I, I talk about this in my book, you know, bonds, we can have a bond to an idea. We can have a bond to a future plan, to a place or a concept, and we can form that bond. And so when that bond is broken, we have a loss. And we experience loss. And after loss, most losses, we, we come, you know, comes grief and we start to, to go through that grieving process. And so, you know, I have so many women that come to me and say, you know, I know that people, I, I wasn't very far along or, you know, my doctor told me it was a chemical pregnancy or whatever that, you know, that is. I hate that and, term. <laughs> oh, don't you hate it? And I'm like, there is no chemical bond. There is a real bond. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so that's why, we don't want to dismiss it because when you are pregnant, you can, a lot of people have bonded with the idea of their child years ago before they even conceived. They thought, what is my child going to look like? What kind of color, what color hair, what color eyes, are they going to have freckles? And so that right there is a bond. And so this, this begins early, early on for many people. So true. I've never really thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so I bonded and I, um, 
you know, letting go. One thing I tell my clients when they are sort of letting go of their miscarriage or working through their miscarriage is to have some sort of a closure ceremony or a memorial or a a moment with you and your spouse where you kind of honor what you've lost and you honor that baby and you let go um, because we do have to let go and, and that's the hardest part. And so, you know, here I was, I had been telling my clients this for years now and here I am in the middle of a miscarriage myself. And I remember my husband and I were on spring break with our kids, with our family, and um, we went to, uh, and it happened. It happened there in Costa Rica. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I thought, I thought all all along it was going to be just sort of this, you know, heavy period, but it was more. It, you know, it was more. And so, you know, when it happened, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I, I want to have, I want to have this moment where I can say goodbye, and um, and so. My husband and I went to the beach and together and, you know, I kind of drug him along. <laughs> and so cause he's, you know, he's, he's a guy who's like, oh, going all into these emotions is hard sometimes. And so we went to this really isolated part of the beach and we, you know, we sat there and I had, you know, I had, I had like some physical parts, <laughs> unfortunately, that, you know, that by the time that eight and a half weeks that she, I had come to know her as a she. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a girl. I just did. And um, I even named her with, you know, some of my best friends and I were talking about it. And I said, I've always wanted to name this baby Eden. Uh, if I had another girl, I'd call her Edie. So, um, and so I remember it, it was, it felt like the cup of my hand basically. And I decided I was going to let it go in the water in the ocean and I let it go. And, and I remember just this such intense emotional feeling of, of letting that go. And I remember how protective I felt even. It's weird. And thankfully it just was gone in a flash. But I remember thinking like, I, I, I wanted to chase after. It's so weird. I know that sounds so weird, but I wanted to like almost like chase after and like had the, all these motherly protective instincts that were already there. I mean, this was 60 days of, of plans and bonding and, and um, being a mother, like you said. And so, you know, it was, it was hard to let go. But as even as I, you know, all these protective thoughts raced through my mind, you know, and my heart was aching to nurture something, you know, I knew I, I, it didn't need nurturing. It wasn't that that needed nurturing. And it was hard. But, you know, I realized how much love had grown in those past couple months, and, and I was willing to do anything for it. But eventually, I had to see what I wasn't responsible for what wasn't mine to have at that moment. And, and it was super freaking hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So what so. do you I mean, because there's like letting go, but then there's also just like the aspect of there's almost like a whole nother grieving process when it comes to not having a little kid running around that was supposed to be mm. running around or even like seeing other kids running around and it just bring like there's so many triggers involved with mm-hmm. loss in the world that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize how how do you work through that with clients like do you, is that something that you do absolutely absolutely so grieving is has this way of coming up in like waves and yeah. layers yeah and so like you'll have like you'll deal with one aspect of it and you'll be like okay I'm good and you'll be fine for a while and then all of a sudden here it comes again it's just like a wave that washes over you you don't know sometimes you don't know what the trigger is you know you're, mm-hmm. you're really smart to know it was that baby running around that that was maybe 
your child's age or would have been. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And so I, I teach my clients that, that it's okay when it does come back up, just like look at it again, just look at it and just be willing to let the feeling come through you and pass through you. And it will just like a wave, it will pass through again. And so that's, uh, that's the process. It's the process and it takes time. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people have enough, they have their child, but they still remember that miscarriage or that, you know, late miscarriage or, um, that they years later and and that's normal. Yeah. I actually caught myself the other day. I was like, I was holding Ryan, which is the baby, you know, we just had a baby two and a half weeks ago and that was my fifth pregnancy and my other four we lost and we lost them really early on, but technically chemical pregnancies. And oh. I say that with quotations and that's right. why I hate, I hate quotes, that term. Air yeah, quotes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I caught myself kind of being like, gosh, I wonder what the others would have looked like, or I wonder like how they would have gotten along or it's mm-hmm. so weird because it's like, technically this is my first child in this world, but like, I still think about the other ones. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because and I think I always will. Yeah. It, yeah. It's never going to go away. They each have their unique genetic stamp, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or print or whatever, you know, that, that would have been a combination of you and your husband and that's special. So yeah, that's what's so cool about DNA is that it's so individual. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that makes sense totally that you would feel that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is, I'm turning this into a therapy session for me. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to take these minutes to get a free therapy session. No, totally. I, I'm so, I, I you know, it, it's, uh, I, co- I completely get it. And I, and this is kind of just the way I like to talk anyway. So I guess it works, you know, but when, you know, I like what you're saying is like, I think about this, I'm aware of it because the other ways we tend to respond to grieving is to block it. Mm-hmm. or to act out. And so those are less, you know, ideal, <laughs> less healthy ways. But, you know, sometimes it's actually just to a coping mechanism for a while. You just need to numb yourself or block out. But I would just say don't stay there too long. I, w- I recommend my clients just like, let's go ahead and feel it. And it's funny when I have clients in the office and they're, they're, they're so not used to feeling it that they will kind of block, you know, they like stop breathing sort of, you like cut off your breathing. And so I'll just get them to connect to that feeling and and that's sort of part of the process is allowing them to connect to it. Some people are just so afraid if they feel it, they're going to be overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And just take a look for, you know, and it is a scary thought. It is a scary thought. But like you mm-hmm. said, it's a wave and it passes through. And I feel like the more you're open to feeling it, the faster mm-hmm. that will kind of happen. But don't get me wrong. I did act out. I did dye my hair like completely bright purple <laughs> after, nice. after my third miscarriage. Well, I was like, I'm doing something crazy. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's not, a, that's not a bad way of acting out, you know. <laughs> when it gets you you did like yeah that's almost like an expression you know With, yeah um when when we talk about grieving like I know there is this in my book I mentioned that um Ken Moses he's an internationally renowned grief expert and he talks about um blocking out and numbing in more like serious ways your way was not that serious it's good but um he like more like addictive behaviors and, and stuff and so that's when we look like kind of more long term mm-hmm. um but you know that's over a long period of time and that can just leave us feeling really detached and, and bitter. And especially if you haven't achieved that pregnancy yet, there's those listening that probably have not and you become, you know, very, you lose hope. And so that can be a really hard process. And, um, you know, I, I worked this, with this amazing lady named Heather Carlisle and she talks about that that part is like the broken when you in the broken dream, like you've lost that dream of, of what you thought was going to happen. 
And she talks about it like a, the no dream stage or the dreamless stage where um, you're sort of just wandering in the void. You know, you feel hopeless. It's sort of dark. You don't see any, any bright light. But if you allow yourself to stay with that grieving process, then you can accept that losses and you can kind of move on into the new, more attainable dream or whatever's coming for you. And so, again, feeling it sometimes is what we need to do when we're in that really hopeless uh, place or that feeling of sadness or darkness is to just know that you're grieving and know that that's normal and it's part of it. And it won't always be that way, that you will come out and it will be good again and you will Mm -hmm. feel okay again. You will. And I remember feeling that. And I remember somebody telling me that and I was like, I don't believe you. (laughs) You (laughs) And and they, they were like, well, that's why I'm sitting across from you telling you this now is because I'm over here now. And I'm showing you that there is an over here and, and you will get here too. And I have. So now I get to give back and say that to people. <laughs> that's so, so cool. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That's just awesome. Um, so your book, Three Makes Baby, can you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that? Like what, what's it about? Yes. Okay. So as I was seeing clients over the years through infertility, adoption, and, and then um, third-party reproduction or donor conception, what I began to see was this pattern um, of, of loss and, and dealing with especially adoption and donor conception is that this genetic loss that people were experiencing, they weren't going to get to have a child that was genetically related to them. And so they would come to me before they go through the procedure. A lot of rec- doctors recommend that couples come and talk to a counselor. And I found myself um, you know, not having enough time with them that one hour was just, we were just scraping the surface of what needed to be discussed and handled. And I just knew I needed more time with them and I wanted to give them so much more. And so I wrote the book. And so it could be a guide and a workbook for them to take home and, or buy and, and just later, you know, and, and it, it talks about the grieving process and it talks about the most common concerns that parents have or parents to be have about um, not being genetically related and having that genetic loss And then it goes, the second half is if you have adopted or gone on, mostly it's about donor conception, but adoption topics are all intertwined in here because I'm very familiar with the topic. Um, Then it talks about how you talk to your child about it and to tell them from a very young age. One of the most common things people were asking me is, do we tell our child? Do we even tell them that they were donor conceived? And how do we tell them? And so this is a book that helps them to walk through, depending on no matter what age the child is from the baby years all the way up to the teenage years, different um, language that you can use, different even like phrases that you can use to help you get used to talking about it with your child. So that's, I, w- I wanted to just write this book to, to offer a guide. There was nothing out there that I could find that was, yeah. you know, reader friendly and that they could just help them through the process. It sounds so. seriously so interesting. Yeah, um, I'm gonna you. I'm gonna go out and buy it after this Aww, because I'm you. really excited to read it. Now you, I mean, I love that you're able to use your personal experiences too mm-hmm. because you were adopted. Do you talk about yes. that at all in your book? No, I don't. Uh, yeah, I do. I mention it in the book. I talk about um, kind of comparing my story to my my then adopting a child, and so you know, I've always been in a family that I wasn't fully genetically related to. I do have a twin brother. So that was cool. We got to be stay together. And oh, that's have, so cool. Yeah. And then I do have a biological son. So I've got like a mix, um, but I have such a good life experience to help people see that this is workable. This is doable. We, you know, and that family is family. 
-hmm. And family is about bonding and attachment more so than DNA. Yeah. And so that's a cool thing that I can share and, and show people that here I am a real person that's, you know, made it work and, and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, before we close out, do you mm-hmm. have any, like any tips or like one big, like aha moment or something that somebody can actually take and use when it comes to struggling with like infertility or loss or, you know, adoption or anything like that? Yeah. So probably the biggest thing I would say is that, you know, when we go back to the beginning, if we just go back to the infertility, you know, cause that's kind of where it all starts is that we look at how do you take care of yourself um, in these interactions with other people? Because I find that really kind of sets you on two paths. Either you go down this path of isolation and loneliness and you shut out and you get into that dark, really dark place, or you go into the path of connection and sharing and not that you, sharing and connection doesn't mean you have to be just a, an open book. No, that just means that you find the right people to, to interact with. So what I would say is, you know, I encourage you to, to find that right balance and to learn the skills because it does force you into this place where you have to learn new skills in interacting with people and how to protect yourself and set good boundaries with, you know, when we get those, hey, just do this or just do that. You know, know how to respond to that in a way that, that empowers you rather than makes you feel less than inadequate, vulnerable, or irritable, or frustrated. Or defensive, too. That's defensive. a feeling that I got Absolutely. a lot was like, I just yeah. would get really defensive. Yeah. And I talk about five ways, five strategies for doing that in my book. Um, and so that is my five ways of dealing with this. And that was sort of something I had to learn along the way. The reason I say that's so important is because if that carries on into our parenting, believe it or not, like I found myself, once I was brought my daughter home, getting the same insensitive questions and comments and having to deal with it all over again. And that can happen too, is like, now here you are and you're having to answer all these questions. So you want to establish that good voice, that voice that you feel that your own empowered, empowered voice, because then your child's listening in and they get that really cool like vibe and tone about who they are and their story and how you feel. And it really does challenge you to grow into something like more than you ever thought you could be. So yeah, I hope that made sense. No, it did. (laughs) No, it was, it was perfect. And I hope everybody listening feels as like, I don't know, everything that you said, I was just like, Yes. Like it was like a therapy session. Oh, I good, hope every, yeah. No, I hope That's everybody good. listening feels that way too. Oh, so, I hope so too. Now <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to link your book in the description of this podcast. Is okay. there anywhere else that if people want to connect with you that they could find you? Oh, absolutely. I'm on Instagram at okay. Jana Repnow LPC and Facebook and Twitter and all of the social media platforms, but I'm most active on um, Instagram. So that's really okay. where you can interact with me. And I love to to um to hear from you and hear comments and 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 questions and so i love that cool and i'll go ahead and i'll link your instagram in the description as well so anything before we close out that you wanted to get out there or that we missed not that i can think of i'm just so happy to be here and i just love talking with you and yeah if if it helps one person then it's 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 more than worth it Yeah. yeah totally absolutely Yay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I learned a lot and you are just awesome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Take myself, take my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 